0: Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegaard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Now, a key component in relatively recent years has been the live trade, the export of both cattle and sheep on the hoof that is live to countries all over the world. Today, I'm speaking with one of the key players in the live trade, not so much now as you'll hear. But in historic terms, a Queensland-based company called Austrix, it was a very, very important player, in fact, a pioneer in the world of live exports. Let's welcome to the microphone the managing director of the Ag Trade Group and Austrix, plus affiliated companies throughout Asia and Americas, Justin Slaughter. Welcome. You are on the grill with Beef Central.
1: Thank you very much, Kerry. Happy Uh, to be
0: here. Justin, uh, when Austrix started all those years ago, there were a few people involved who would become big names in uh, agribusiness, very successful as well, Uh, John Down, the former Wallaby, Rick Trivett, the biggest name of all, David Crombie, who would become MLA Chair and then President of the National Farmers Federation. Not a bad start with names like that.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Kerry, we're very fortunate with the founders of uh, Richard and uh, David founding GRM and Ostrex all those years ago and um, I've been personally incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to work with them over the years and learn so much from them. So very appreciative indeed. Yes,
0: yeah, so when they started, they were got involved in the sheep exports to the Middle East and meat exports to the Middle East, but your first live export Trade to the north was to a place called Saba. You were—do we ever spoken of a four hundred breeder cattle up to Saba?
1: Yes, I think that was obviously well before my time. Yeah. But I do, I do record the gentleman talking about it, and I think Richard might have touched on some of that on one of your previous podcasts. Yeah, indeed, but those early days were certainly exciting for them, and they found lots of new and pioneered a lot of new markets by just purely turning up and knocking on people's doors. So it was incredible what was achieved.
0: And you ended up exporting all over the world, didn't you? So many countries that I could nominate that you either sent cattle there or arranged to take take cattle from.
1: Yeah, they certainly did. So for many, many years, that tradition, I think we're up to 50 years now with the Ostrex business. So they they have certainly pioneered many markets around the world, I think over 30, 35 markets and exported from multiple origins as well.
0: Justin, when you when did you arrive at Austrecht? And you arrived in the in the classic manner you ask for you're a bush rooster, weren't you? You were born and bred on a farm.
1: Yeah, I was born in Mount Isa and yeah. grew up on a farm in the South Burnett and yeah, we I started work experience here and I was very appreciative to everyone. I guess Adam and Admin, Peter Corey and yeah. all those names. Wow. And and Richard and David, you've mentioned uh, giving me an opportunity.
0: Wait, so when did you arrive at Austrecht? That's nineteen ninety three. And now you're the Managing Director. It's an outstanding success and congratulations.
1: Uh, Look, I don't think it's uh, all me. I think it's a combination of a wonderful team that we've got and those gentlemen that you spoke before and all the help we've had along the way.
0: Did you get involved in the live trade much? I mean, did you you play Stockman or anything like that? Yeah,
1: I think I went on one voyage, but I, I spent a lot of time in developing countries on way bridges and unloading stock and making sure they were going into uh, good quality feedlots and and visiting customers over the years. I've spent a lot of time overseas. I've probably been to China over 100 times.
0: We're going to talk about that in your markets with Wagyu up there later, but uh, you did a lot of dairy cattle as well out of um, the south, mostly to China. Is that still going on?
1: Yes, that's going on. I think that dairy cattle trade, although it was going to other markets for for many years prior, but I think the market in China probably emerged in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it might have been 2000, 2001, that the first vessel of breeding uh, cattle or dairy cattle predominantly went to to China.
0: It's an odd situation, isn't it? I mean, the whole of Asia is adapting and adopting dairy. When it was uh, largely thought that there was something in the Asian makeup that would uh, not allow them to eat dairy products, but it's changed completely, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it certainly has. You know, those those dairy cattle feed into a lot of big milk companies that service the school milk program. So they pro- provide nutrition. I think what maybe happened is as they've had access to dairy from a younger age, it seems that. Although there is an element of lactose intolerance, that that it's not as broad as first thought.
0: So you're telling me, China, China has a a school milk program, remarkably similar to the one that uh, operated throughout Australia for many, many years.
1: Yeah, that's um, it's it's a way that they can provide nutrition to the younger generation, and it has to come from uh, dairy cattle or dairies in China. I think. What it is, is I think it's important to their economy because it creates jobs in their region and it provides milk and nutrition to younger people and people across the country. So it is an important
0: trade for them. Now, another business that uh, was a fairly low-key operation was your ability to send Wagyu back to Japan. Were they F1s or pure Bloods?
1: They were all F1s. There was a few pure, uh, full-bloods that were going back as well. But um, we only, to be honest, have been involved in that trade for about eight years. But I think that trade's been really going, and many other people prior to us pioneered it for nearly 40 years. And um, sending, I think it started with Angus and different breeds, but then morphed slowly into an F1 Wagyu where they feed it. Uh, in that market, which is quite
0: amazing, it is remarkable, isn't it, that the home of Wagyu would want to import Wagyu crosses into their own country. What, what, what do they? What happens to the cattle when they get to Japan? Are they processed immediately, or are they fed?
1: No, no, no. They're fed for a, a similar amount of time, maybe slightly longer than they are in Australia. And uh, each customer that brings them in, you know, feeds them alongside some of their local Wagys as well. And and some of them, for instance, one of the largest feedlots in Kobe, um, they feed. They have Kobe beef, which is a grading system in Japan. They also have their uh, Wagyu Holstein cattle. They have their purebred Wagyu that don't grade Kobe, and they also import these Angus Wagyu cross. So they supply to different segments of the market. And what emerged is the slightly less marbling that was produced by the. Angus Wagyu um, hit a slightly different demographic in Japan, and and had a good demand.
0: So I'm going to get to your diversification program shortly, but we can't uh, leave the live cattle trade without talking about that LSD issue uh, impacting on the industry as we speak. And I'll just leave your comments. I know it's very, very sensitive, but. Speaking to you, a person with immense knowledge of the northern cattle industry because of the involvement in the live trade for so many years, what is going to happen with all those northern cattle not going to Indonesia and other destinations in Asia? What would have to happen?
1: Look, I think if we go back a step there, I think this just is another example and illustrates the importance of why market access in all markets is critical our industry and why we also have to invest in biosecurity in Australia um, to protect the assets that we have. You know, it's true that uncertainty like this has a negative effect on productivity in Northern Australia and it's very challenging for everyone in the industry at the moment. But I think longer term, if you really think about it, I think the government's working hard to resolve the situation and I think longer term. Northern Australia is a very complementary resource to Indonesia and a and a wonderful source of cost effective, nutritious food which the people of Indonesia need. So I would be hopeful that in time that common sense will prevail and we find a solution.
0: But those fifty thousand cattle or sixty thousand cattle are around about that number, they're getting fatter by the day. But that's over their specs, of course. So they'll end up going south, won't they, on a truck into a meatworks, maybe?
1: Maybe some of them will, and some of them will go to other export live export markets as well. So yeah. I think there'll be a combination.
0: Do you think the mainstream market has underestimated the importance of the live trade in putting a floor in the cattle price for the rest of Australia?
1: Look, I, I, I just think it is a it's it's a complementary trade for producers, and at times of when it's dry, and, and especially in those remote and regional areas that have tyranny of distance. Um, it does make sense um, to put light cattle on vessels and feed them in Asia, and and it sort of feeds into the the way some of those Southeast Asian countries consume their their beef, and they do it through wet markets and or buy meals. and One of the big challenges is it's not only refrigeration, but affordability of people. A lot of them only buy what they can consume in that day, so they buy particularly small portions it's not suitable for all of them to take their protein in supermarkets as such so I think I think it's a good market and I think you know if we can maintain access for the industry in the longer term it's a it's, it's a good thing
0: yeah, it's a cultural thing isn't it? it's also an electricity thing that's why they buy their meat you know, they buy two or three hundred grams every morning at five or six o'clock in the wet markets
1: yeah it just suits them look we thought we I think that um, the chilled beef will continue to grow off the back of it, and that is a very, very important market. Um, but but that that trade and the way they consume it, their protein is critical for their food security.
0: Time for a break. My guest on the grill, the boss of Ostrex and other companies, Justin Slaughter, when we come back. The remarkable diversification of Ostrix from live exporter to a producer of, of upmarket beef and much, much more. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Shield MH1 for protection against ammonia. For rapid protection against MHN IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with BovaShield and Rhinogun, available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders
1: has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval.
0: Elders for Australian Agriculture. You're back on the grill with Beef Central. My guest today, Justin Slaughter from AusTech. Justin, why diversify when your live exports and your meat uh, trade was absolutely booming? What did you see that made you decide we have to expand and diversify?
1: Look, I think what what, what we thought about is the long-term um, element of the business. We're still are very supportive, obviously, of the Live export component is a very important part of our business and will remain so. But what we thought is there's three main principles of which we wanted to uh, go forth. And first of all, we have to respect and utilize the platform and the 50-year history we've got. But any diversification that we wanted to do needed to focus on products that were adjacent to our existing products and also helped our customers and supply chain partners in the longer term. Lastly, I think it's also important that it must align with the values that we've got and it must improve our longer term sustainability. So it was really those principles with which we decided to step into some other areas that were adjacent.
0: Justin, Ostrich and its diversification, and it's now the pro owner of a substantial full blood Wagyu herd. How did that evolve? I know it's adjacent to what you were doing, but Wagyu in particular. Did you make a deliberate decision to to go into Wagyu?
1: Yes, we did. It was about fifteen years ago, but look, we started very small and we're still very small compared to many other people in the industry and 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 we've been very appreciative actually of, of the broader Wagyu industry and many people that have helped us along the way. But what what we saw is if we were going to do things with regard to live export and wagyu, we needed to understand the genetics. And the best way to understand the genetics is to be involved in that. So we decided to do that. And then those genetics now feed into some of the Paradigm Beef Wagyu brands. Um, and, and we think that that's a, a, a good part of the supply chain for us to participate in to support those brands and that distribution of both those products.
0: A lot of Wagyu around there, Justin, at the moment. I mean, everybody seems to be getting into Wagyu. And now you've got... South America going into Wagyu, and of course the United States, America with that massive uh, feedlot infrastructure, they're going into Wagyu as well. Did, did you ever get concerned about maybe too many Wagyu in the world?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose always. Um, look, obviously it's a it's a wonderful product and something that consumers have resonated with. You know, there's there's always going to be expansion and contraction in every industry. I think what we don't do as a business, what we focus really on is trying to understand what a customer wants and aligning what a producer produces to those bespoke customer requirements. So we don't prescribe to a producer um, what they want and we're involved in not only Wagyu, with Brahman, Angus, all sorts of other breeds and all sorts of other supply chains. Yeah. But for us, it revolves around what they, really what the customer wants and trying to align that with what people uh, would like to produce.
0: Now, I'm just reading from your website now. What is uh, B Corp certification? What's that mean? And and Nature um, mass, What what is that in your pursuits at the present?
1: So Paradigm Foods, in the diversification we talked about, we've invested in three main areas. It's the Paradigm Foods, which is bespoke um, niche, beef and lamb brand, and animal nutrition, which is important to what we do in the livestock supply chain and our customers overseas in in uh, high-value open and hay and other nutrition, specialty nutrition products. So if you think B Corp um, Paradigm have achieved B Corp certification and basically that's a certification process that they went through over a very long period of time, but it determines sort of the purpose of what the business is focused on. It's not just for profit, it's it's focused on, community and, and a purpose that is broader than profit only and um, it took them a while to achieve that certification but um, some customers in the world that resonates with and, and uh, they are achieving some demand from, from that. I
0: have a future question for you about the carbon game but uh, I want to look at another real pursuit you have uh, undertaken with some con- success and indeed, the export of hay, oat and hay. Tell us how that evolved. Well, look,
1: always, and I know even back in the history, um, GRM used to run farms for people in, in various Asian re- regions and, and they used to import large amounts of hay from various places in the world. But really that, that roughage market globally, I think it's 10 to 12 million tonnes global roughage market. And, um, so roughage is an important con- uh, contributor to nutrition for many of the dairies and and, and beef supply chains that we supply cattle to. So, therefore, we saw it as a natural extension that that product could be supplied to the similar set of customers.
0: Yeah, where do you grow it, uh, yeah. Justin? Where, and what is it yeah, a special type of hay?
1: We don't grow it, we just work with producers, similarly oh, okay. to what we do. But what what we have is um, we have four presses that sort of uh, share storage and, and presses that sort of uh, grade the hay, press it into containers and ship it to overseas
0: markets. So it's compressed and, 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 and contained and, and sold. Uh, where do you sell? Where's your, where are your markets? I would guess uh, uh, Japan would be a market for those.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, so basically it's all coming out of southern Australia and Victoria, western Australia, south Australia and it's been exported to Japan, Korea, Taiwan, China a little bit to the Middle East and Southeast Asian regions as well.
0: Yeah. It's a sophisticated um, and I would assume somewhat expensive product when you're exporting cattle feed. uh, So they're selling to the top end of the market overseas.
1: Yeah, that's the the focus. And Mm -hmm. and those markets, because they're constrained by land, water or various other things, they don't have enough availability to produce enough roughage. So um, a lot of these customers need to um,
0: bring it in each year. Yeah, I must say we're constantly hearing about a shortage of roughage around the area. Justin, I assume Ostrich is involved in the carbon game as well? Yeah, look,
1: for us, I think the carbon game is not really... Uh, what we're trying to do really is we just think it's it's part of um, whether you agree with all the elements of the argument or not, We we believe it will have effects on market access of consumer products in the future. So we believe we have to look at how we can Become more sustainable in that area, and to do that, we we, we then think, well, how do we um, work with people in our supply chain to sort of unlock the value for them, and also achieve what we need over time to retain market access.
0: So, oh, so you're of the view that if we if you don't get to a certain level of, in the carbon business, then buyers from overseas will potentially not buy from you.
1: Well, potentially, we're already seeing. It's hard to see exactly what, how that's going to play out. Um, but we are seeing in some countries where they have carbon prices that they will tax products that don't have an equivalent, uh, carbon regime, yeah. um, at, at the carbon rate of the importing country. So that, that is, that could affect your access into some markets. It's like an, another tariff. Or
0: some description. Yeah, so, so, I assume um, you're on board with MLA's carbon neutral by 2030 project and aims?
1: Yes, yeah, so obviously we're supportive of anything yeah. that moves in that direction.
0: Will uh, Austrax be carbon neutral in the next five or six years, I assume?
1: Well, we're, we've done some work on baselining. We've got a lot of work to do on various areas, but what we are trying to do is work out ways so how we can generate through our supply chain, first of all, efficiency to reduce what we can do but then over time um, generate credits to offset what we may be, now, may th- be uh, generating.
0: Yes, that's it. Well, it's a common answer to uh, my my question to various heads of uh, various ag businesses uh, it's very very crucial to the future of the every just about every ag business company now the carbon credit game.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely not going away it's no, important it's not and going it anywhere. seems to resonate with consumers It resonates with the community and consumers.
0: uh, Justin, should artificial intelligence be a factor in agribusiness or is is it a part of your business already? I have to ask because it seems to be a mantra just about everywhere we go these days.
1: Yeah, look, obviously that's emerging. Um, I I would be first to admit we're not on the forefront of anything like that. but, But I think it must have immense applications for improving productivity. And if it does, then we have to be looking at it because, We've seen through a period recently with COVID, um, productivity has become pretty challenged. And I think longer term for agricultural production, that's that's very important. So we should look at all technologies that may be able to support that.
0: Justin, you're a wonderful story the success uh, on close to 50 years of the Oztrek group of companies and your own personal story starting as a, a young bloke. Looking for work experience, and now you're the managing director. So well done. And Justin, thank you for being on the grill for Beef Central.
1: Thank you very much, Gary. Have a good day.
0: You too. And thank you for joining us until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the weekly grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.